You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Uh, today's verse is uh, out of Exodus. It's 30, uh, chapter 34, verses 1 through 9. So if you're following along, and if you're at home, uh, if you're able to, please stand to honor the reading of God's word. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people and and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. You may be seated. So this morning while we're together, we're going to pray for um, a missionary family that our church supports here at Meadowbrook. Um, Mirko and Paola Franzini, they're in the Lombardia region of Italy. Uh, They have a few specific requests that they reached out for. So one thing I wanted to share really quickly before we pray for them, uh, there was a praise that was shared, a joy that was shared, that there was some conflict within their church that's been resolved. So they're really, really thankful for that. So let's join in prayer and lift them up this morning. Grateful for the ability. Father God, we come to you this morning. We're so thankful, grateful hearts, um, grateful for the ability to be together. We're grateful for the health of those who are not struggling with this virus. Lord, we lift up uh, Mirko and Paula as they do your work in Italy, Lord. They have some struggles, they have some things as they're back down on lockdown again, or where they are and meeting is, uh, is not happening. Lord, help them to reach hearts near and far, those that are part of their, uh, their church, their congregation, their groups. Um, help them to keep those bonds strong and keep spirits high. Uh, and help them to reach those that are not within their groups, Lord, and just extend the reach and your love and further your kingdom, Lord. Um, we just pray for them as they, uh, they start another lockdown journey, Lord, and uh, just help them to accomplish your mission, Lord, what you'd have them do, and reach hearts for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. How is everybody? Good? Good. Um, all right. Before we get started, I got a, I received a text message this in the first during the first service. Uh, the Reed family, they're they're uh, part of our church family. They uh, had a foster child by the name of Sean. Sean is, I believe, three, and um, he went back to his. I think he went back to his biological 
parents, and this is the text message. Uh, Pastor Keith, please ask the whole church to pray for our Sean. He is fighting for his life right now. He is only three years old. He's on a ventilator and went into cardiac arrest. They, fell, they say that he fell down the stairs. We are desperate and need help now. Please have everyone praying for Sean's recovery. So I just want to take the next, just a couple minutes in the row that you find yourself in. If it's just you, then that's fine. Let's just pray for Sean. Sean's three years old. Pray that, that God will heal his body, that God will use the doctors to heal his body, and that whatever, that God will give the authorities wisdom and discernment to figure out what really happened to Sean, and that Sean would um, land in a place that's safe. Um, Anyway, so if, if, let's just take a couple minutes and pray in your row uh, for Sean and pray for the Reed family because they're here and Sean was, lived with them for, I forget, I, for a while and it's gut-wrenching that they're here and are powerless to do anything right now. So let's pray. Just pray and then I'll close our time in prayer. God, I lift up Sean to you. We lift up Sean to you and we ask that you would heal his body, that you would give... You'll give the doctors wisdom and discernment to, to, to be able to treat him in the best way possible. God, we ask that he would not have to stay on the ventilator very long, that his heart would heal, and that there was no damage to his heart as a result of going into cardiac arrest. God, no kid uh, should go through that. And um, I just pray for... For Sean, that he will, uh, that you will lead him to a place, whether it's through the authorities, the doctors, whatever. I don't know how all that works, but that he would land in a place that is safe. And um, if his injuries are the result of abuse, God, that that those responsible would be held accountable, and that. Um, that he would just work through this mess. I pray for the reeds. Pray that you, as they feel power and comfort to them, peace to them, as they feel powerless to do anything right now, and they love this boy like their own. And so I just I pray for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. One of our one of the words out there is pray. That we want to be a praying church that develops followers of Jesus who engage their communities with the gospel. And I really, I really do believe that, that uh, nothing like great happens when, when uh, God's people just kind of sit on their butts and don't pray. Like uh, every move of God seems to have been preceded by God's people coming together to pray. And so our desire is that Meadowbrook uh, develop a culture of prayer. And so I saw that text message today, and it was gut-wrenching. So we prayed every, you know, in all three of our services. All right, so this is going to be fun. Um, here's why. I wasn't supposed to preach today. Uh, we were, so Nick was supposed to preach, uh, Nick Wardle, who is our intern, he's doing his internship here, he got sick and uh, called me while I was in Arizona late on Thursday 
and uh, told me he was sick, and that um, I said, well, then stay home, and I'll figure something out. So I literally started writing and uh, working on my sermon on the airplane back from Arizona on Friday and spent all day on it, and I have about two hours of sleep. So anything could happen today. <laughs> I felt bad for Sam, who was signing in the second service. She asked me, uh, I told her, I said, you know, I usually send her my manuscript so she has an idea of where I'm going with the message, and I didn't do that, I didn't think to do that, and she asked if I was going to be using any big words. I said, no, it'll be all good, and then uh, sure enough, uh, she looked at me a couple times and said, how do I sign this, <laughs> this, this word, immutable, <laughs> which is a theological word. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. So anyway, um, so... I've been thinking about Exodus, particularly a conversation that, that Moses had with God that has kind of haunted me since the whole COVID thing. I, and it kind of creeps up every once in a while as God's way of reminding me that he is uh, for me, not against me, that, he, that he's using the craziness uh, in my life. Uh, for his glory and for my good, and I feel like he's doing the same with COVID and the political mess that we find ourselves in. But I don't know about you, uh, I, a little stability would be nice. Anybody like uh, some stability? Uh, yeah, I, I would like a little stability. And so Moses and God had this conversation as a result of Israel's unfaithfulness and uh, it got so bad that God said, I'm just going to start over with you, Moses. I'm going to start over with you and just call it good. And Moses said, you can't do that. And uh, they had this conversation. I want to share that story. I want to share what, what led up to that conversation and then focus on some characteristics about God and then come back and just offer a challenge for you and for me as we, try, as we attempt to move forward as the people of God in the midst of some, some uh, you know, crazy times. I feel like they're kind of crazy. If there, were, if there was ever a time that Israel did not experience stability outside of their relationship with God, it was when they were delivered out of Egypt. So what landed them in Egypt was that they... Uh, generations before, uh, they, they, there was a famine in the land, and, and because uh, Abraham and others couldn't see themselves surviving the famine, they basically moved into Egypt. And it was fear that landed them in Egypt. They were there for over 400 years. And then uh, Moses uh, ran. He, was, he grew up in Egypt. And uh, he, he, he basically killed an Egyptian soldier, buried him, and was afraid that he would be found out. So he ran for his life and became a shepherd and spent about 40 years in, in the wilderness just shepherding. And he got married during that time. By the time he encountered the burning bush, which I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Moses, but if you saw uh, Charlton Heston's uh, Ten Commandments, how many of you have seen that movie? Right? Okay, so that movie. Or the cartoon version of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah I, I like that uh, movie. And now I have There Will Be Miracles in My Brain um, Forever. That's a song, by the way. And it just, you know, 
And so for those of you who have seen it, you're going to be thinking that song now for the rest of my message. But if you know anything about Exodus, Moses found himself in front of the burning bush, and it was God in his presence manifesting himself in this burning bush. And he said, Moses, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt into the land that I promised your, your forefathers. And uh, I'm just going to just paraphrase the conversation that took place. Moses said, well, are you sure you got the right guy? Because uh, I'm not a very good talker. <laughs> like, I'm not a good communicator. I, I stutter, actually. I stutter, and you don't want to use me. And God said, well, who made, who made the deaf deaf? Who made the mute mute? I can use whoever I want to use. I'm going to use you, Moses. And they went back and forth, and finally God said, fine, I'll use Aaron. Aaron will be your mouthpiece, and I will still use you. And so he did that. He led uh, Moses and Aaron to Egypt, and Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh, and what did he ask? Yeah, let my people go. Basically, hey, uh, God said, you need to let the Israelites go, and Pharaoh said, yeah, right. And, and so what happened was, uh, he said, okay, and God, God said, well, it's on. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, bring 10 plagues, and each plague and this is the cool thing. I could do a whole sermon on the plagues. Each plague was meant to mock, his purpose was to mock one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Each plague did that. And so, you know, the first plague was when the Nile got turned into blood. So there was a god of the Nile, and, and the whole point was, your god uh, is nothing, and, the god, and I find this the most complication is the god who is god over all gods, and then there was another god, and I find this the most comical of all the, of all the plagues. There was this fertility goddess, and uh, the images of her have her with a frog's head, right? And so God said, okay, so you're not going to let my people go? Fine. Out of the Nile are going to come all kinds of frogs, and they're going to fill your bowls, they're going to fill your toilets, they're going to fill your tubs, they're going to fill your kitchens, your rooms, the streets. No, you will not be able to set foot anywhere in Egypt without stepping on and crushing a frog, which I find humorous, because every time they stepped on a frog, not only was it gross, but secondly... It was as if God were saying, I am crushing the head of your fertility goddess. And, uh, and, and so in every plague, just if you ever get a chance to do a Bible study on the plagues, it's, it's worth doing it. The final plague, though, was what? Was uh, the firstborn. The firstborn of every household would die unless over the doorposts of, their, of the door of every home had the, marks, uh, the, the blood mark of a lamb, a, a perfect, unblemished lamb, which is interesting. It was on the top of the doorpost, on the left side of the doorpost, and on the right side of the doorpost, which is a picture of what? The cross. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an awesome picture. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon, too. Well, maybe Easter. But so, so uh, Pharaoh wasn't going to let the Egyptian, or let Israel go, and then you had the plague of uh, where the angel of death killed all the firstborn of every home that didn't have the doors marked, and Pharaoh's son was one of them. Now, the thing about Pharaoh is that he was considered the most important god in Egypt. Uh, he was considered the incarnation of Ra, the, the most powerful, one of the most powerful gods, the sun god of Egypt. And God was, made a mockery of him. Not even, not even the incarnation of Ra, the most powerful God, is able to deliver his own son. 
from death. You see? And so, so Pharaoh let, let Israel go, and he said, get out of here. And when they left, uh, all of Israel left with gold and, and uh, livestock. They left very wealthy. They made their way up to a certain sea, and that sea was what? The Red Sea. Very good. And as they approached the Red Sea, where was there to go? Nowhere. <laughs> uh, because behind them was the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. Pharaoh had a change of heart, and he was going to kill all the Israelites. He had had it with them. And as he was pursuing them with his army, the, the Israelites were facing the Red Sea and staring at the sea and thinking, this is impossible. And, and what did they do? They complained. They said, oh, great, Moses, you just led us out here. Was, was there not enough places for graves in Egypt that you led us out here? And, and then Moses prayed, and God um, parted the Red Sea. And they went through the Red Sea, God delivered them, and then the waters came down on the Egyptian army, and it was awesome. One of the, uh, that happened in Exodus chapter 14, and by the way, my sermon manuscript you'll be able to find on the webpage sometime this week, so you'll be able to look up these verses. Um, they sang a song in Exodus chapter 15 in light of their deliverance, and here, here's some, some of the lyrics to that song that the Israelites sang. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed uh, gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Meaning, uh, basically what they're saying is, you rock, God. We are totally in. We love you. You are the God of all gods, and, and you, you, we, we're, we're with you. Like, we're... we're you're our God. And actually, there's another line in the song, which is really important to consider, which says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Talking about God delivering them from the Egyptians. And everything, when you read Exodus, everything looks really awesome for the Israelites. They look like they're on track, they're on point. But when you read Exodus, really the story of God's people, you know what it feels like to me when I read it? You know what it seems like? It seems like a waltz, right? And I've never waltzed, but it, was, but it seems like two steps forward, one step back. Uh, one step forward, two steps back. And then you go sideways. I never waltzed, so... I stink at dancing. But that's, that's what it seems like. Hey, have you ever, like in your life as a Christian, does that, as sometimes it, does it feel like that to you as a Christian? Like it does for me. And, and so if there was ever a time where it seems like they took, at the very least, two steps back spiritually, it's what happened next. So Moses led them, and they get to, um, they get to this place where where God says to them in Exodus uh, 19, he says, listen, if you will obey my commandments and obey my laws, you will be for me a kingdom of priests for the nations, and I will be your God if you obey me. And their response was, in, verse, in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be what? Obedient. And were they Obedient. No. Good answer. Uh, was that David? <laughs> That's David. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, like they weren't obedient. In fact, it didn't really take them very long to be disobedient because in the verses that follow, Moses said, hey guys, listen, I am going to go up to the top of Mount Sinai. I'm going to hang out with God for a while. Uh, I'm going to worship with him. He's going to talk to me. I will bring back down what he has communicated with me. Uh, Don't worry, I will be back. And so he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, is the two, the two steps back <laughs> um, part of Israel's dance. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Hey, get up. <laughs> uh, make us gods who shall go before us. For as this Moses, like, like this, this character that went up to the mountain, this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become. He said, don't make need. I, I know what the Ten Commandments said. We read them. He said, don't make a, a God in our image. But who's going to lead us if Moses isn't around? And, and, and uh, you know, so, so, we'll, so make a God for us. And what's interesting is they took all the gold, the blessing of God, and they turned the blessing of God into an idol. And they made a golden calf. And, uh, and I don't know what was going on in Aaron's mind. You'd think he would have like, said, no, I'm not doing that. But he, but he did it. And maybe he was afraid. My guess is he was probably afraid of the people. And uh, the golden calf was made, and he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then the next day, this is what it says, they rose up early the next day, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, just so you know, this is not a barbecue that was happening. Like, like they, they weren't making burgers, and then somebody brought a Frisbee, and they thought they'd play Frisbee or horseshoes. This is, that's not what it means by play. What it means by play is they got up, they stuffed themselves with food, they got drunk, and then they engaged in gross sexual immorality in honor of this God that they made out of gold. And so God told Moses, I've had it. (laughs) I'm wiping them out, all of Israel, except for you, Moses. I'm going to start over with you. And, uh, I mean, this is a whole other sermon, a whole other talk to talk about that conversation that Moses had. But the whole point was not that God was going to go back on his promise Really, I think the whole lesson was, made, was for Moses. But Moses pleaded with God. And he said, if you do that, all the nations, all the nations will mock you. I mean, you, you're the God who keeps covenant. You're the God who keeps your promises. That's what sets you apart from all other gods. And if you wipe out all of Israel and you spare my life only, what, what are people going to say? And so then God said, well... Uh, and this is all in Exodus 33, if you're reading it. He said, well, this is what I'll do. I won't spare, I, I mean, I will spare Israel. I will lead them to the land of promise, but I'm not going to go with them. I will send an angel to lead them. And so Moses' response is this, is that if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. That's the thing that's been haunting me you know, during this season that we find ourselves in. If you're not with us, I don't want to go. 
You know, I, I mean, that's, I really feel that, like as a church. That's why I, I really do believe that one of the things that God is calling our church to become is a church that really saturates everything that we do in prayer, but also a church that develops followers of Jesus, and also a church that engage or engages our community with the gospel. Like, I, I don't want to trust in programs. Programs are fine, but when programs replace, you know, the presence of God and the move of God, then you've got problems. And Moses said, I, I don't want to go without you. And so I, I, if you're not going to be with us, I don't want to go. And so God said, all right, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. That's verse 17 of Exodus 33. I will go with you, Moses. And you, think, you would think that the conversation would end there. Moses would be like, awesome. All right, so let's go. Let's do this thing. Let's, let's take the land of Canaan uh, for, for, for your glory, God, and for our good. Let's, let's do it. But the conversation didn't end there. It, it actually continues with verse 18. It almost feel, it seems like verse 18 doesn't even belong there. Moses said, please show me your glory. So God just said to him, I will go with you. Everything you ask, I'm going to do. And then Moses said, show me your glory. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I was wondering, why, why, would God, or why would Moses ask that question? Why would Moses want to see the glory of God? Remember, the glory of God is his character uh, put on display. It is his holiness, his justice, his mercy, his grace, all those things put on display. And I think the reason why Moses asked God to see God's glory is simply for this reason. Everything is in flux. There are enemies that want to destroy us in the, in the wilderness and even in the land of Canaan. There are forces that want to make, see to it that we fail. And I just want to be reminded, before we embark, before we go, I just want to see the one thing that will never change, and that is who you are. Like, God does not change. There's a theological term used for the unchangeableness of God, and that theological phrase or term is immutable. He is unmovable. There's a verse that says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. That's really good news, brothers and sisters. Like, he doesn't change like shifting shadows. Um, he, uh, he is not schizophrenic. He, like I said before, he does not need to improve upon himself. So he told Moses, he said, look, you, you can't see my face, but I will hide you in the cleft of this rock, and I will, walk, I will pass by, and you will see uh, the backside of me. I don't know how that works with God, but whatever. So the presence of God passed by Moses, and uh, as he passed by, Moses heard this said of God, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So, so basically what happens there in that moment is God says, 
here, I want to just remind you of five things that will not change about me, about who I am, and as you move forward in faith, even when you are afraid and you're tempted to just stay put and, be, and, and to be paralyzed by your fear, you'll be able to look to these five characteristics about me that do not change. And you can hold on to these as you, as you follow me in obedience. And the first is this, is that God is compassionate. He is compassionate. Now, the ESV says merciful, but the NIV actually gets it, gets it right in the translation. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And the whole point is compassion is more of a three-dimensional view of mercy. Right? It's just a fuller picture of mercy. Um, mercy is refraining from giving a person what they deserve. Anybody ever... Uh, demonstrate mercy to your children uh, before? Like anyway, yep. Um, <laughs> and Christmas, it feels like grace. You're giving them what they don't deserve sometimes. Right? I remember growing up, um, I, was, I was kind of rowdy as a child, and uh, I was always threatened with coal. And, and so, thank, thank goodness, Santa Claus was, uh, was gracious. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. All right, so, I told you I only had two hours of sleep. God is compassionate. He is compassionate. In fact, it is the compassion of God um, that resulted in him hearing the plight of the Hebrews. When he said in Exodus chapter 3, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. It was the compassion of God that led to him calling out to Moses and saying, I'm going to deliver my people from the bondage of slavery. And over and over again, we see this in the Bible. It's the compassion of God that led him to find Adam and Eve after they sinned. They were in the garden, and God said, Adam, where are you? Not because God couldn't figure it out. He knew where they were. Uh, and, and most of the time when God asks, hey, where are you? It doesn't mean good things, right? You, you did something bad. And so he found Adam and Eve and redeemed them, and it was because of his compassion. And when God determined to judge the earth through a flood, it was his compassion for Noah and his family that he uh, saved them and spared them. And I, you know, the Bible says that Noah spent... 110 years building the ark. I really believe that he did that. And, and, but the second question is, why? Like, why so long? I think because God was giving that generation every opportunity to turn from their sin, to turn from their violence and wickedness. Uh, the Bible actually calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Um, God promised Abraham to bless him and, to provide, and, and that he would provide both he and Sarah with a son out of his compassion, he did it. Every act of God to spare and save in history has been and is motivated by his what? Compassion. His compassion. And so God tells Moses, that's the one thing that's unchanging. So when you go and you're tempted to doubt my compassion, if you're tempted to doubt my, my goodness, just know that it doesn't change. I don't need to improve upon my compassion. It is as good as it gets. And then he lists the, the other characteristic, which is grace. Grace is giving, what, giving us what we do not deserve. And, uh, you, know, it, it, you know, use that next time um, you know, a police officer pulls you over. He can use the mercy and the grace line. I, I've not done that yet, but it would be fun. Um, when, when God rescued the he, Hebrew people from 
from Egypt, it, was be, it wasn't because they deserved it. It was because God was gracious. Um, it also means kindness. That word grace means kindness. It can mean merciful, to show favor. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God reminded Israel why it was that he chose them. I, I love this. I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more normer, numerous than all the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of, the, of slavery, from the power, power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Any of you remember gym class in, in grade school, like high school? When the uh, gym teacher would say, okay, here's, here are the two coaches, Sue and Bob. Like, you're the, you're, you're, the, you, you're the team captains, and you pick the people you want on your team. How many of you were, like, the last person picked? Like, I felt that awkwardness, right? Like, really? You're going to pick that person over me? Like, that's what we... <laughs> so, it, always the best and the fastest get picked first. And God told Israel, you are not the best. You are not the fastest. There was nothing really about you that made me want you. Here's why I chose you. I chose you because I love you, period. And that I am a God of grace. And God was telling Moses, look, I, I don't change. That has not changed. I am a God of grace. And I will be for you, not against you. And then the third thing that we learn of God in that statement is that God is patient. And praise God for his patience, right? Like, I mean, think about it. I mean, the story of Israel's history is one of God's patience. Like, you know how long it should have taken them to be able to find their way into Canaan? Not 40 years. It, right? And so, so God will use suffering and this is so true of his people. He will use suffering in our lives as fire to burn away the dross in our lives, right? That's what happens when, when precious metals are purified. Uh, he is in the business of doing something beautiful in the lives of his people. But I, will, I promise you, and you all know this already, when he does it, it sucks, right? I mean, like, does it feel good when God, like, prunes your life and, and right? No, it doesn't feel good. It, it's painful, um, like Jesus even used an illustration and he said, uh, he said I, am, I am the vine, you are the branches and uh, those that don't bear fruit get snipped <laughs> right? and I often thought about pruning pruning, if the plant could scream it would scream like don't do that, it hurts but what's really happening is the pruning will result in more fruit bearing God is patient. And man, when you read the story of Israel, it's as if God says, he's like, you still didn't get it? All right, take another lap in the wilderness. That's why it took 40 years. Like, you still didn't get it. Okay, another lap in the wilderness. Okay, another lap. I mean, that, and that's like the Christian life, it seems like sometimes. Sometimes I wonder if COVID is God, like this resurgence of COVID, if it's God saying, okay, did you get it, church? Take another lap, <laughs> right? Um, and what we see in our world, uh, I wonder if God is saying, take another lap. And sometimes individually, he certainly is doing that in our lives where, where it just seems like, man, is this ever going to get better? And it's really God working in our lives and molding and shaping our lives in such a way that it feels like 
man, it's, it's like I'm on lap 20, and I'm not sure I have anything left to give. And I think that's the point. You don't, and that's why you have to rely on him. So God is patient, but his patience does love run out. It does run out eventually, not because he changes, but he said, I have given you every opportunity, and you have rejected every opportunity. And so now, now, now it's time for judgment. And then God is love. That's the other thing that doesn't change. The word that's used for love here in Exodus is hesed. It's, uh, it's the equivalent of the Greek word agape. You ever hear of the word agape? Right? So agape is unconditional love. So in the New Testament, you have three types of love. You have phileo, that's friendship love. You have agape, that's unconditional, I will die for you love. And then you have eros, which is uh, physical love. Our world says, well, if you really want to make things, you know, if you want to have a happy life and enjoy and enjoy a relationship, start with eros, and then maybe it will evolve into phileo, friendship love, and then hopefully agape. But the Bible says, no, 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 you start with phileo, and then that may involve that eros. Agape, if you're, if you're looking to get married, and the fruit of agape is eros. Um, that's fresh in my mind because I think that's the next premarital counseling session for one of the couples I'm going to be doing their wedding in December. Um, God is love. Like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, what? he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. When you read the Bible, uh, when it, when, in terms of statements about God and, and, and statements about doing the right thing and being truthful and honest, Statements like the ones that we find, the one that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is about love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Uh, husbands and wives, uh, do yourself a favor. Like if you like visit that passage often, <laughs> uh, it will go well for you. Um, but First Corinthians 13 is first and foremost a statement about who God is. He's a God of love, and this is what His love looks like. First Corinthians 13. He is compassionate. He is gracious. Love. He's also a God who is just. Like he is compassionate, he is gracious, he is patient, he is love, but let there be no misunderstanding. He is also just, and he is perfect in his justice. He doesn't need to improve upon it. He is just, and he holds out his love to all who would receive it through, you know, through his son. Like, like he, he's offering all people, if you, just, if you embrace my son who I sent to die in your place, who lived the perfect life you know you never could live because you're just jacked up. And, and so you, you, you know, he did that, and then he went to the cross as a perfect human being uh, in our place on the cross and underwent my wrath for you so that you wouldn't have to do that. Like All who embrace that will escape the wrath of God, and you will not experience his justice on that level. But if you reject that and continue to reject it, then then what is left is the justice of God experienced in his wrath. Like we were familiar with John 3.16. You see that at football stadiums sometimes. I never saw John 3.17 or 18, which says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so what's the point? <laughs> like in this, in this sermon, I said this to somebody, one of the pastors at the conference, I said, I said you know, um, most of the time when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to my own heart because I need to hear this. Like, like the same anxieties that you all are experiencing, like you're just, you know, for some of you, your, your life, if you're watching the live, live stream, your life is all messed up because of the way the elections went. Some of you may be rejoicing <laughs> because of the way the election went. Uh, COVID is resurging and you're, and you're just scratching your head. Now what? Um, the same anxieties that you experience, I also experience, you know, and so one of my roles is to help you work through that as, a, you know, as your pastor, to help you work through that, and to show you who God is, that he's unmovable, just like God showed Moses. And, uh, but, but, but I need to be reminded of that too. And, and here's what I want to leave you with, or, or, like quickly, or the nursery workers and child care workers are going to kill me. Um, here's what I want to leave you with, and, and that is this. I don't know of any place in the Bible where when God's people were motivated by fear, that that led to anything good. Think about it. Uh, it was fear over uh, a, a famine that resulted in Israel making Egypt their home. It was fear that their slavery would become more difficult, that some of the Israelites wanted to continue to live as slaves in Egypt when Moses showed up. It was fear of the pursuing Egyptian army and the impossibility of being able to cross the Red Sea that many of the Israelites complained and said, we should have just stayed back in Egypt. It was uh, also fear of, of, quote, giants in the land, end quote, uh, when, when uh, some spies were sent into the land of Canaan and 10 of them came back and said, hey, we saw giants in the land. They're the men of renown. And in comparison to them, we're like grasshoppers. I think they were probably you know, exaggerating a little bit. And there were two spies, Caleb and, and Joshua, who said, it doesn't matter how big the people are in the land of Canaan. God has promised to deliver us uh, you know, from, those, from whoever's in Canaan, and he's promised to give us that land. And so because 10 people complained and convinced the rest of Israelites, you know what God said? Take another lap in the wilderness. <laughs> Most of you are going to die in the wilderness. It will be your children that get into the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. And, uh, and so over and over again, like fear is not a bad thing. Like it's an emotion that God put in us. So it's, all fear is not bad. But it's when that fear paralyzes you from doing what God has called you to do. That's when it becomes bad. The question I want to leave you with is, what is it that God is calling you to do and that fear is keeping you from obeying? Like, what is it? I don't know what it is. I mean, like, so that's the question you need to ask. What, what is it? And as you follow God, I, I really believe that, that these characteristics of God are meant to encourage his people that as we move forward in faith, even when we experience fear, we, we, we get over our fear anyway, like we, we pass over our fear 
and we move in faith because we understand who God is, that he's a God who's compassionate, he's a God of grace, he's a God of, uh, of patience, he's a God of love, and he's a God that's just, and none of that's going to change, and he's for me, not against me, and, and so I can move forward, whatever that looks like. And for Meadowbrook Church, you know, we're, we're, planning, we're planning things. Why? Because I think that's the responsible thing to do. The, the, I think you know, there's wisdom in taking precautions. I'm a cyclist. Do you know why I wear a helmet? Because I don't, I don't want to lose my brains on the pavement if I crash. Right? Like, I'm not, I don't diss helmets. Um, you know, uh, you know when, you get into, when you're in football, unless you're in rugby, <laughs> Uh, you wear pads. Why? Because you don't really feel like breaking bones. Um, there are certain precautions. Uh, you can take precautions in whatever we do, or whatever you do, but don't let fear keep you from doing what God has called you to do. And, uh, and that's really all, what I wanted to say. Just like, that's what I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart. I'm preaching to my own heart and saying everything I said, and I just want to leave you with that. So we're going to hire a full-time uh, youth and, and young adult guy down the road. Why? Because we're planning for the future. Um, we're going to plan different types of forms of outreach, of just blessing our community and reaching out to our community. Why? Because that's what God has called us to do. Uh, and we're going to do a lot of other things, too, as the people of God. And so, amen? I mean, so be it. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy and Thank you for our nursery workers and, and those teaching children's church. They all rock, and uh, we're so thankful for them and thankful that, uh, that our kids can go and, and really learn a lot about you in a, in a, fun, um, in a fun way. And so thank you for, for them, and thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives. May we be a church that never, never makes decisions because we're fearful but always because we're faithful and we believe in who you are and we will follow you wherever you've called us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.